Welcome to the Sheila Kano Extracted Podcast, where I'm hosting Norman Mbazima. Um, Norman uh, was a financial accountant for 18 years before spending another 19 years as an executive of Anglo-American Corporation, where he also served as CEO of several of the company's subsidiaries. He's retired now and serves as a non-executive director of several entities. Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extracted Podcast. Norman, it's nice to talk to you again. Thank you, it's very nice to be here again, Sheila. So Norman, one of the things that you know very well and perhaps better than most is uh, agreements uh, that are necessary to develop mineral deposits. But you also know particularly well JV agreements because Anglo-American enters into partnership with several entities, including governments. And, and this is what I wanted to really focus on. So let's just say, when we say partnership agreements, what do we mean? And what purpose do they serve? Partnership agreements, Sheila, can be just generic. You know, what is a partnership? It means two two or more people want to get together to do something, to, uh, to, to, to follow up and do something together. Uh, in the mining industry, partnership agreements are normally the agreements that governments enter into with an incoming mining investor to determine... Um, how the two partners, what's their role and what are they going to do uh, once this investment starts? Now, uh, why is it necessary for uh, governments to even be partners in these developments? Governments, by their very nature, have got... um, obligations to their citizenry as to what kind of investors come into a certain country, what they do in that country, what effect uh, the investors will have on the country's economy, uh, and especially on such things as what kind of taxes they're going to pay, what kind of employment they're going to achieve in the country, what kind of local uh, development, i.e. buying stuff from uh, companies and individuals within the country and, and so forth. And what they're not going to do, such as how much harm they are not going to do and how they're going to foster the environment and things like that, so that the development of that country is facilitated. And it's important for the investor also to know what their obligations are going to be, such that they don't find themselves two years later or three years later thinking they were going in that direction, being uh, put into a very different direction, which has different costs to what they expected. That is what these partnership agreements try to do. Now, um, partnerships, as, I, as far as I have seen, between governments and mining companies can be quite problematic if uh, uh, controversial. Why are these partnerships difficult to administer? From the government's perspective, uh, this this can be quite difficult uh, in, in the sense that the expectations of the population uh, 
can often be, how do I say, bigger than what the all body in the ground is, is actually saying from an economic point of view. Uh, and therefore the expectations of the communities and the people, et cetera, et cetera, may not be met by the partnership agreement the way it was set out. And that always leads to difficulties. Similarly, the expectations of the investor uh, can change over time as, as they discover more and more how, how this copper deposit or cobalt deposit or whatever deposit that they want to uh, develop, how it is from an uh, economic point of view, from a technical point of view, etc., and how the markets uh, operate. Because the markets will be the markets and they will determine what the price of the thing is. And that can make things very, very difficult uh, for the developer uh, to realize his own objectives. And often those kind of things lead to difficulties. Got so uh, if one uh, envisions uh, a, say, JV agreement, what would be some of the hallmarks of uh, the provisions of a JV agreement between a mining company and a nation state? The, the joint venture agreement is slightly different from a partnership agreement um, in, in the sense that normally the states then wants to be a partner in the development of that particular mind, say. So you will have instances where the the government is a 50% shareholder or perhaps even a minority shareholders. In Zambia, it was something like 10 to 20% shareholding remained with the government and so forth. Then you are sharing in the normal day-to-day -day operations of that mine. And you need to say who's who in the zoo, who's got what responsibilities, who's got what rewards, et cetera, et cetera, as you go along. And that's an even deeper relationship that can lead to very good rewards for both parties, but equally can lead to very big difficulties, Sheila. Sure. So it's it's interesting you you uh, make a refinement to the definition of joint venture versus uh, partnerships. I, I, I wonder if it's not worth spending a bit more time uh, differentiating. From what you're saying, being a partner means that you are directly involved in the running uh, and the day-to-day -day decisions of the running of the company in which you are a partner. Would that be right? That, that would be right. But in the mining industry, a lot of the partnership agreements with government are also called development agreements. This is where the government does not necessarily have any ownership in the mine, but they want to be very clear what a, a developer coming into a country is going to do and not to do, and to have half that embedded in a contract so that everybody knows what the situation is. You can then get down to where you have a company in which a government has a shareholding. So in addition to being a government looking for the things that I was talking about earlier, they are now a partner and they want a share of the profits that arise out of that um, developing of the mine. And that has additional 
uh, obligations and additional rewards coming out of it. Mm. So when we think of partnerships, uh, we think of the rewards. And, and you are right to, to point out that they are not just rewards, they are also uh, obligations. What are some of the obligations then that when a government chooses to be a partner, uh, inherently takes on? And, and, and how should governments mitigate any risks that comes with such an obligation? Yes, look, once you are in a partnership, it means that all the issues that come out of there and all the good things that come out of there are then somehow shared in a certain proportion between the, 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 the partners. So if, if a mine floods, for example, and we are partners, then we as partners have got to say, how are we going to deal with this flood? Who's going to bring in money, for example, when uh, a capital call is made? Uh, are you going to bring in your, your 20% and I'll bring in my 80% or, or whatever? Whereas in the other agreements, the government says, this is what we as a nation are looking to do. And you go ahead and do this and we will, the country will get benefits from the fact that you guys are carrying on. But hey, if, if the mine floods, it's your problem. You have to sort it out because you are the owner of this mine and you are the operator of this mine and I'm not part of that operation. Right. So those are two different, different uh, positions people can take. So, so basically when governments then think about these agreements, uh, it, it's good, isn't it, for them to project into the future and say, all things considered, this is the bucket of benefits. All things considered, this is the bucket of risk. And be clear that they they will indulge that risk, whether it is financial or otherwise. Uh, because uh, otherwise the assumption is that you make an investment and that's it. But what you're saying is in perpetuity, there's potential risk. And if you uh, as a government are a partner, in the project, you will not only enjoy the benefits, but you will also enjoy the liabilities that arise from time to time. Uh, it, do you get the sense governments understand this? I think everything you've said is spot on, Sheila, and quite often governments do not understand this. Um, that's why we encourage a lot of governments to do the development agreements as opposed to the partnership agreements or JV agreements where they're part of the operations. I've often said that it's very difficult for a minister of finance, especially in a relatively uh, poor country, to have to make a choice between whether the, the money that he has in the treasury should go into buying Panadol for the hospitals or whether it should go into buying yellow metal for a yellow metal equipment for a mine in which he is a partner. Mm. And, and depending upon which agreements they are, they have to make those choices. And those risks can be quite difficult. In environmental ones, for example, are like that. If if you have an issue with the environment and you're a partner, then you have to contribute to the cleanup. Uh, arrangements, physical as well as financial and so forth, that can ensue from that. And governments are often not prepared for those kind of things. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's an important point, but I, I and 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 like most things, there's no silver bullet. So let me flip that and say, in most uh, countries on the continent, the state owns the minerals and then leases it. So there's a, a certain very onerous uh, custodial responsibility. What if I said that? This arm's length development agreement stops short of the government truly exercising their custodial and fiduciary responsibility because you could argue, couldn't you, Norman, that de facto they, they, they relinquish very material decisions on a day to day basis to a private investor. What if I said that justifies being a partner, notwithstanding the potential financial risk? That's a good point, Sheila, but you must remember that governments are sovereign, are part of a sovereign state, and there are things that they can do that other partners can do. They can make laws, they can make regulations, they can do things of that ilk. And the issue of stewardship of the mineral rights of a given country reside in the government's responsibility to, to regulate to create laws that ensures that people who are in the mining industry operate correctly, do not harm the country, and they bring benefits to the people of that country from exploitation of those minerals. When you are a, a partner or part of a JV agreement, you are then involved in the day-to-day -day and what is happening in that particular company and you're part of it, as you said, part of the reward and part of the risks and uh, the, 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 that come with it. And normally because some um, mining company that has come in has the experience and wherewithal to do the mining, then a lot of those risks, et cetera, are left to that, to, to that partner to execute on a daily basis because they are assumed uh, to be better at doing so. But in that case, the government hasn't relinquished its responsibility in that regard. And quite often they have some problems understanding at what, what can I do as a partner and what can I do as a sovereign? Hmm. That is interesting because what you are saying is the two are not mutually exclusive. It Correct. is possible for the government not to involve itself in the day-to-day -day running of uh, a company, or for that matter, in the risk that comes with being a partner financially, while at the same time using the laws of the land to have uh, a say in how the investor, and that it is the effective use of the law through regulation and oversight that compensates and that if this done well, then the government shouldn't feel that it has relinquished its responsibility. Let me move to another set of agreements. It's very common, isn't it, uh, Norman, in mining for the so-called juniors and majors to form partnerships. I, I wanted us to understand how this tradition has evolved. But before we do that, how about you just tell us what we mean by juniors and minors in your industry? Generally speaking, it's an issue of size more than anything else. 
So you have mining companies that are of a certain market capitalization that are smaller, that uh, runs mines that produce uh, small amounts of copper or cobalt or uh, whatever mineral we're into, etc., and are running those mines uh, well. You then have the, the bigger mines, the majors that typically are in many countries, not just in one country, that whose market capitalization runs into billions rather than millions, uh, and who generally have more muscle in doing what they, they have to do. Uh, so that's that's really how we, we differentiate between juniors uh, and the majors. The majors, by their very nature, then tend to be um, slower. They tend to to have lots of policies and procedures that have to be followed. They have uh, more elaborate approval mechanisms and, and, and so forth. And the, 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 the juniors are said to be more nimble, uh, more quick-footed. They can make decisions quicker. They can take more risk and, and so on and so forth. And those describe the two, Sheila, and uh, one has to think of them in that way. Uh -huh. So, so it's it, so really it, it, it's it's scale in terms yes. of market cap. Uh, it's right. scale in terms of the very hierarchy and structure of the companies, but and potentially market footprint in terms of uh, commodity trading, but also its agility. So, if if then uh, you have this what you've very clearly described as different cultures, corporate cultures. How is it that they tend to often to gravitate to each other? What pulls them together and what necessitates uh, partnerships in a way that is potentially beneficial for both? Generally speaking, Sheila, the junior miners, because they are nimble, will go into places quicker that the majors don't or take time to do. They will be more innovative in, 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 in what they do. They will make very quick friends and sometimes enemies uh, with peoples in those countries and they will uh, get hold of opportunities. Now, once they have that opportunities, they'll say, I do not have the balance sheet to help me uh, exploit this opportunity that I have. Uh, I do not have the muscle to be able to do what is needed to make this opportunity come alive. So let me see if I can have a discussion with the major and see if we can have a joint venture and do this thing together. Sure. So, so essentially, they are quick of the mark, uh, but they are not. They haven't. They don't have the wherewithal. Often, once they've made a discovery, for instance, to take it to uh, uh, the development phase, because if they make a discovery, it can sometimes be out of scale uh, in, in relation to their balance sheet. And in which case, the thing to do is to say who has money and, and yeah. actually that's the majors. So what happens, uh, you know, what is the typical ask? It's easy to see what uh, the juniors are looking for. They are looking for capital. They are looking for somebody to help them also raise finance with a name and, and a brand and a balance sheet that finances will look at. Uh, so what are the majors looking for? Just to, you know, to lend their hand on a deposit? Uh, what, what is, what's in it for them? Well, 
as, as we've been saying, they want to develop a deposit, run it for many, many decades, and make a profit from doing so and grow their business. And remember, it's not just the money uh, that the balance sheet brings, it's also the expertise. So the, the majors will have very big technical departments. They will have the right mining consultants, the right number of metallurgies, the right capabilities in project management and, and so forth that needs to be brought to bear to develop a big deposit that the junior miner may, may have uh, gotten hold of. Right, so so it's, it's bringing this whole ecosystem. My That's experience right. is that, uh, it, you know, at that stage of negotiating these JVs between juniors and uh, majors, you know, there's there's often a, a false appearance of meeting of minds, but actually there's not. I, am I correct that actually, uh, as much as we, we need the resources of the majors, more often than not, we really don't welcome them and don't welcome their way of doing things. To, to your point, they lack agility. And, and, and so you, you get this clash of uh, corporate cultures. How, how is it often resolved, uh, Norman? It's, it's a big issue uh, in, in those JVs that the cultures are very different. The decision-making is very different. The timelines are very different, etc. And it's very important for the two partners to recognize this upfront and say, how then are we going to, to marry these two when they are the ages are so different. <laughs> How is this couple going to work when their ages are so different? And to be able to recognize in that in the JV and deal with as many of those issues as you can in the JV agreements. How are we going to manage this? Who's going in to be in charge of operations? What, uh, what is each party going to bring? How is it going to bring it? And what happens to issues where we have uh, differences? How are we going to resolve them? Because you can't think of all these issues uh, ahead of time. Some of them will pop up that you would never have thought about. So when we reach a, a dispute, how are we going to resolve it? It's really the question of how well thought out the original agreement is, how well that JV will operate. Yeah, my, my experience is that uh... Some many of them, particularly where it's a really large deposit, uh, in the end the marriage just collapses and the smaller company is bought out because it, you know it, it it can be quite difficult to run a company where with every decision that is made uh, at the board there is a voice of dissent because just culturally, fundamentally, people see uh, different things. I, I did want to ask you. Do you know, there isn't a, enough partnerships on the continent between juniors that are mining small deposit uh, singularly and citizens. And yet I've always thought for uh, bringing down, if you wish, the entry barriers that are clear when you're dealing with big deposits. Small deposits are the answer for building a, if you wish, a cadre of indigenous mining companies. Why aren't we seeing enough 
partnerships between juniors and citizens wanting to cut their teeth at mining? Yeah, this is a question that exercises my mind continuously. In many of our countries, uh, we have over the decades developed very good um, executives, whether it is metallurgists or mining or accountants or whatever it is, but somehow we have got to develop the entrepreneurship side uh, of, of, of our countries, of our people, such that they then can make these agreements with junior miners on not, not necessarily an equal footing, but on a footing where each side knows exactly what they bring to the party and therefore what they should be able to take out of the, uh, of the partnership. We're starting to see this happening now, but I just feel like it's not happening quick enough and it's not... Uh, <laughs> It's not happening big enough for, for me. So I think we need to see how, um, A, the people themselves can try and develop this, and secondly, how government can help these things uh, to happen. Because governments will be interested to make sure that their citizens uh, develop, and therefore they have a role to play in this. Absolutely. So. Uh, I have one last question or one or two, and it's to do with uh, a different set of agreements, what you might call community agreements. Uh, and, and this, as you know, is increasingly, uh, thanks in part to ESG, becoming an expectation that governments enter into agreements. And I, I know you, uh, Anglo has done something similar in the Limpopo region. Can you talk to us briefly, what do we mean by community agreements, uh, what is the scope? Why are they necessary? And why are the development agreements we spoke about at national level not enough to address community level issues, Norman? I think this is an extremely important uh, topic and we discussed it briefly in the previous podcast. A company comes into an area to develop a mine and especially if it is a big mine, the GDP of that area will maybe go up by a million times. And that will bring with it lots of negative issues and lots of positive issues. It brings with it lots of expectations of what will happen to the people of that area. And those expectations may be overdone or underdone and, and, and so forth. And it's important that the company coming into that area has a relationship with the community where there can be mutual expectations, which we can hold each other to as we go forward. And the development of the people and the development on, of the mind can go in lockstep. Very, very important that this happens and those are the agreements that tend uh, to govern that. Now, the national agreements are generally at a national level. So what are the taxes that are due to happen? What is the level of uh, employment that is due to happen? How people blast, uh, within how many meters can you blast of people and, and so on and so forth. And they will therefore not be specific to the particular communities that are around that particular mind. That's why the two are, are quite separate, Sheila. 
That's fantastic. Well, Norman, that's all we have time for uh, today. No doubt we'll be talking to each other again. Thank you very much once again for joining the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. I enjoyed that, Sheila. Thank you very much. <laughs>